Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you'd open up a Bible to Galatians, the sixth chapter. Galatians chapter six, that is where we're going to begin momentarily. I think if you'll open up a Bible and follow along, you'll find that that's helpful for you. It'll be helpful for me as we work together for these next few minutes in the Word of God. And as you're turning to Galatians chapter six, I'll just quickly join in the welcome that's been extended already. It is great to see everybody this morning. We do have just a full house and uh, that's, uh, I, I saw all the different folks that I knew were going to be out of town and thought we might have a thin crowd, but we've got lots of folks visiting with us and we appreciate you being here and filling in some of those, some of those gaps. We're just glad that you've come our way and hope that you find everything that we're doing today to be found in harmony with the teaching of the New Testament and what God says in His Word. That's just what we're trying to do is to be a, a church of the New Testament and do things according to the pattern that's found there. In Galatians chapter 6, let's just get right to it. I'm reading here in verses 1 and 2. In Galatians 6 and verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If I could direct your attention to the screen behind me, does anybody know what's going on in that little picture there? That, of course, is a barn raising. A barn raising is probably most commonly associated with the Amish, but it's really not just limited to the Amish. It is the collective action of any community in which a barn for one of the members in that community is built and assembled and put together, and then it is raised up by all of the people that are a part of that community. So here you've got 40 or 50 guys, and they're all working together to construct and nail and hoist and put that frame into place, and in less than like less than a day, an actual barn, an entire barn, can all be put up Because everyone in that community, they all came together to assist one another. We're going to help each other with this project. We're going to do that even without having to be asked to do that. We're going to do that because, well, because that's just what we do for one another. In fact, since I'm talking here about barn raisings, that seems like such an old-fashioned sort of thing. Let me just kind of drop another old-fashioned word on you. This is a word that we don't hear very often today. Have you ever thought about the word beholden? Do you know what beholden means? To be beholden means it means to be indebted to someone. It means to owe someone. If I come and help raise your barn then you are beholden to come and help me raise up my barn. To be beholden means to feel a a sense and a mantle of, of obligation and duty toward another. And maybe that idea of beholden, maybe that explains why we don't see very many barn raisings today. Because I don't want to be beholden to anyone. I don't want to owe somebody else. It's just easier for me to just... Pay a guy to put the barn up. Or it's easier for me to just do the work myself instead of me be beholden to you and now I owe you something in return. Now I owe you a favor of some kind. I don't want to be beholden to someone. Would you take a look again at Galatians chapter 6, those first couple of verses we just read? The Josh McKibben South Central Kentucky translation of Galatians 6, 1 and 2 is brothers, you be beholden to one another. 
especially if you have a brother or a sister who is in sin, you get in there and you help them. In fact, what Galatians 6, 1 and 2 is describing for us is a reciprocal relationship, isn't it? Where we are obligated to one another. Where we do owe one another some things. Where we assist each other in raising something far more important and far greater than just a barn. We are actually helping one another to raise up the Lord's house, the church, the family of God. And unfortunately, not everyone in our world today that professes to be a part of the family of God, not everybody is interested in doing that. Not everybody is interested in the kinds of things that Galatians 6, 1 and 2 talk about. Some people today, they wear the name Christian, but they don't want to be beholden to anyone. I don't want to be beholden to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes, let's just be honest, sometimes we just want to fly solo. We just want to do it ourselves instead of being involved in a reciprocal relationship where I'm obligated to somebody. I'm obligated to serve and to help and to encourage other people. Well, this morning, if that describes anybody in this room, if even at any point in your life you've ever thought or entertained those kinds of things, this morning I want to help all of us to seriously reconsider our attitude toward this house that the Lord has placed His children in, that house that we know as the church. And while we could talk about that in a very very broad sense, we could talk about the universal church, all the saved of all time, all across the whole world, all the saved people ever, I'd like to kind of narrow our focus this morning. And I'd like for us to think about that idea as it pertains to the local church. I want to talk about this community of Christians that meets and assembles and works together in this community, the group of people that make up the Lakeside Congregation. I realize we've got lots of visitors here today. What you're going to need to do is you're going to need to think about these ideas with the congregation that you are associated with, that you are a member of. But I'm especially talking to my brothers and sisters here at Lakeside today. And in particular, what I want us to do is I want us to think, I want us to think about the gift that God has given us in and through the local church. Do you ever think about the local church as being a gift? A gift from God? You know, what if we didn't have the local church? What if we didn't have this, what we're doing today? What if we did not have this as part of our lives? How different would our lives be? We should think about that today. I want you to think about that so that we can begin to appreciate the great gift that God has placed in and through the local church. Then I want us to not only appreciate that, but I want us to be ready to take our rightful place, grabbing a beam, grabbing some other piece of wood, and we're going to help to raise up God's house to be what He wants it to be as we serve the Lord and as we serve each other. He set before you three gifts that God makes possible in and through the local church. And that just needs to begin with some discussion about how the local church is one of God's primary methods for reaching your friends and your loved ones with the gospel. Now, there certainly is a long list of things that you could do and you could make use of to try and bring someone that you know and you love to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. 
You could just on your own, you could just have a Bible study with somebody. Maybe just sit down and just read the Bible with somebody. Maybe you could just strike up a religious conversation with a co-worker and just see where that goes. Maybe you could offer somebody a Bible correspondence course that they could just complete that by mail and don't even have to have any you know, one-on-one personal interaction. There's lots of different evangelism methods that you can use to try and get the gospel into people's hearts. But in all of those various methods, and there's a whole bunch more, what is probably the most common and probably the easiest evangelism method that we use today? It's when you say to your friend, Hey, won't you come to church with me? Hey, would you be willing to come to church with me this Sunday? I'd like for you to come and worship with us this Sunday. Come and be a part of our Bible study on Wednesday night. Why don't you come? Come and see what we're doing down here at church. And of course, whenever your friends and your loved ones, when they come here, what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is, is they're going to see New Testament Christianity in action. They're going to see that. They're going to see real worship done according to the pattern that we read about in the New Testament. They're going to hear the Scriptures being taught and explained and proclaimed with power and with force. They're going to be exposed to the truth. Truth about matters like salvation. That seems like a pretty important matter. They're going to hear the truth about those things and how a person becomes a Christian. All of that is going to be on display for them when they come and are a part of our assemblies. Not to mention your friends and your loved ones when they come into this place. They're not going to be asked for money. And I think that's important to say. Because so often in the religious world today, I think that keeps a lot of people away from going to church. They're going to be after my wallet. They're going to be asking me for money. Guess what? We're not going to do that here. We do not ask of our visitors and our guests for a single red cent. We're not going to ask them to buy a ticket. We're not going to ask them to, you know, all kinds of strings attached sorts of things. No. What we want our guests and our visitors to see is we want them to see that that we want them here. We want them to be a part of what we are doing here. Because we are actually interested in their soul. And in the eternal salvation of their soul. And you know what? I think that's actually kind of happening right now. There are visitors in our midst at this very moment who have come today to to check this out. And what they are seeing, hopefully, is they are seeing New Testament Christianity. They are seeing what's described in 1 Thessalonians 1. Would you find 1 Thessalonians 1? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, as Paul commends this local church, the church in Thessalonica, he says the following in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look in verse 8. In 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, he says, For not only, not only has the word of the Lord, word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. I think that right there is a pretty good description of what the church does. The church is a sounding forth organization. That's what we're trying to be about here. An evangelistic organization. We are sounding forth the Word of God from this place. In fact, we keep a guy on staff here full time so that he can devote himself to the study and the labor of God's Word to preach and to teach that Word on a regular basis. In fact, not only do we employ a guy here, we've actually got a couple of different guys that we support in doing that work here in this local place. Not only that, but think about the other things that we do as a local church. 
We have special events from time to time. Gospel meetings, BBS that's coming up in just a few weeks. The Word of God is going to be sounded forth in those venues. Sometimes in maybe kind of a a different kind of atmosphere. Do that in a way that might appeal to a non-Christian. Present some topics that would be appealing to someone outside of the body of Christ. We have Bible classes. We have materials that are produced in-house and some that are purchased. Workbooks, tracts, all kinds of pamphlets and bulletins. We have a website. We have an audio podcast. We invest some time and some money in those things because all of those things are venues in which the Word of God sounds forth from this place. That is what the church does. Stop and think for a moment. All of us here probably have a list, probably with several names on it, of people that we wish would become Christians. People that we think about regularly, people that we pray about, people that we hope would obey the gospel. Now, I want you to stop and think about trying to convert those people all by yourself. No resources from the local church. No abilities or using the talent pool of the local church to help with that. None of those things at your disposal to try and lead a lost soul to Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it can't be done, but what I am saying is, is I'm saying it could be kind of tough. And what that means then is that means that the local church, it's a gift. It's a gift to you. It's a gift to me. To help us get the people that we love to get the truth into their hearts and hopefully lead them to heaven. That, that makes the local church just an invaluable blessing, doesn't it? Just like this second gift. That the local church is one of God's primary means of exposing and rebuking and pointing out false religion. You know, when you go back to the very beginning of the Lord's church, you start reading in the beginning of the book of Acts, what you'll find very quickly is that the devil's first line of attack on Christianity was persecution. That's how the devil decided. He was going to try to put an end to Christianity, stamp it out, as I'm going to persecute Christians. I'm going to make their lives tough and hard and miserable at every single turn. That happens as early as Acts chapter 4 as we see Christians being taken into custody, being put in jail. You get to Acts chapter 6 and 7 and 8, and you find that Christians now are being killed, being murdered, being martyred for their faith, really turning up the heat. You would think, you would think that that would put an end to Christianity. I don't know how it is that you go out to people and say, hey, why don't you join up with our group? You'll be killed. It'll be great. That doesn't seem like a very effective evangelism method. Yet what you will find when you study about the New Testament churches, you'll find that that persecution, it did not stop. It did not stop their faith in Jesus Christ. And it did not stop the widespread of Christianity throughout the world. Persecution actually caused Christianity to just spread even more. The fact that Christians were able to persevere and bear up under all of that. People saw the courage that people had in their lives as they served Jesus Christ. That just served to strengthen the cause of Christ. And that caused their numbers to multiply. And so, when that didn't seem to work out all that well, what did the devil try next? What did the devil do next to try and frustrate the work of God? What the devil did next is the the devil infiltrated God's work with all kinds of false religion 
and false ideas and fake and phony versions of Christianity. In fact, by the end of the first century, we start to even see some evidence of that in the New Testament. There are fake churches just popping up all over the place. You read, for example, in some of John's epistles, and there's evidence of that. John talks about those who went out from amongst us. 1 John 2 verse 19. You see as well in the letters that were sent to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and in chapter 3, you got churches that are teaching error. You got churches that are being havens for error and wickedness. Churches that are departing from the truth. More and more churches started doing their own thing as opposed to doing Jesus' thing. And here's the really sad news about that. That's still going on today. That's still going on today in a big and unprecedented way. There are churches today, for example, that are money grabbers. They push out the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth, the Joel Austin sorts of religion. There are churches today as well that they seem to require nothing of their members at all. They are havens for hypocrisy and darkness and evil and wickedness of every kind. You just come as you are and, well, you can just kind of stay as you are. Just keep doing whatever you want. There are churches today that maximize in fun and entertainment and games and all kinds of recreational thing and offer very little in way of spiritual nourishment. There are churches of every sort today that are far afield from what we read about in the New Testament. You want to know what a local church of Christ does? You want to know what a faithful New Testament church does? What we do is we show people and we show the world a better way. That's what we do. We show them that there is a better way, and in doing so, we expose fake and hypocritical and false religion, and we do that by practicing true Christianity. You just watch, for example, you watch what happens in a local church of Christ when someone comes forward to confess sin in their lives. The humility, the contriteness of heart. And you watch when that final amen is said, after that brother or that sister has come forward, and they have asked for the prayers of the saints, they have sought God for forgiveness with tears. What happens when that amen is said? There's a line that goes all the way back to the back. Folks just waiting to hug that person, put their arm around them, tell them, I am praying for you. I'm here for you. I'm so proud of you. You watch a Christian maybe in the middle of the week taking all kinds of time and energy and effort to put together some food, to get a dish together, to go take it to that family that's just lost a loved one. Or that family that's had a rough time lately and has got sick ones and they're going over there to help. They're putting themselves out to go over and assist that family. You watch maybe an older couple in a congregation, how they go and impart wisdom and try to have influence on a young man and a young woman and guide them in the way, maybe bring them into their home, be hospitable and open up their home in that way. Just in a thousand different ways, the local church says, we're going to follow that New Testament pattern. We see what those early Christians did, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do that because that's what Jesus wants us to do. And when that happens, when that is being practiced, then I'll tell you the difference between the genuine article and the counterfeit and the fake, the difference just becomes immediately apparent. Would you look in Matthew chapter 5, please? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks here about how when we practice true Christianity, that serves as a light. 
In Matthew chapter 5, I'm reading here beginning in verse 14. In Matthew 5 and in verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we live out pure New Testament Christianity, that shines a light that, first of all, is going to point the way. Isn't that what Jesus is talking about here? It's going to point the way to what's true and what's right and what truly pleases the Father in heaven. But if you thought about it as well, light also serves another function. Light also exposes the darkness. Light is going to expose the cracks and the faults in fake religion, superficial religion. And when an entire church, an entire congregation of God's people, when we are all radiating that light, that, that is a powerful gift from God. I hear people say things, and maybe you do as well, people say things like, oh, all churches, they're just full of hypocrites. People don't really believe what they're doing. They just go through the motions. You hear people say things like, well, you know what, churches today, they're just interested in fun and games. Nobody really takes the Bible seriously today. Churches today, they're just interested in getting your money. They just want you to give money to them so they can build bigger centers of recreation and all sorts of things. And you know what you're able to say? And what I'm able to say, as members of a local church of Christ, we're able to say, hey, 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 hey. I know something different. You seem to have a particular view of what church is all about, but I know about something different. I'm a part of something that is unlike any of that fake and phony religion that is so much a part of the world today. Why don't you come and see? Come and see what real New Testament Christianity, what a real New Testament church is all about. What a wonderful gift that is from God. But you know, those first two gifts, those are gifts that really are very helpful for people who are outside of us. I want you to understand this morning that this gift in the local church, it's not just for them out there. There is a gift and there is a blessing for those of us who are a part of this family. And that is that thirdly, the local church is one of God's primary mechanisms for pulling you along to heaven. Would you find Acts chapter 2, please? In Acts chapter 2, here is that very first local church. This is the Jerusalem church. And I want you to see what that local church was about and what they provided For those early Christians, we read about 3,000 people who obey the gospel there on the day of Pentecost. It continues to grow from there. But look at what's said there in Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 42. In Acts 2 and verse 42, we're told that those Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed, they were together together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all of the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Those are very poignant verses in my estimation. 
And from those verses, I think you can actually develop a pretty good definition of what a local church is. You want to know what a local church is? A local church is a group of people, a group of saved people, who are committed to going to heaven, and they will help you to go too. I think that's a pretty good just basic nuts and bolts definition of what a local church is. A group of saved people who are committed to going to heaven and they want to help you to get there as well. And that's exactly what's going on in Acts chapter 2. And that's important for us to recognize because there's always power, there's always power in groups. Isn't that right? Isn't it true that there's kind of, there's just something that happens whenever we're a part of a group? You know, if everybody at work, if they're sitting around in the break room and everybody's talking about some new television show, and they're talking about last night's episode. And everybody's seen that, but you haven't seen that. Well, what are you maybe inclined to do the next week? Probably going to be inclined to watch that show. I want to be a part of that conversation. I want to be a part of what the group is talking about. And I want to be included in that. Or what about, what about all the fad diets? That seem to just, a new one seems to come along every year, whether it's Atkins diet or the paleo diet. You know, what is a fad diet? A fad diet is a diet that everybody's doing because everybody's doing it. And there's just a group mentality about that. I know a bunch of people that's doing it, so well, I'll just do that too. You see, there's power in that group mentality. The group mentality just kind of just kind of draws you along. It, it pulls you in and pulls you along. And that's true for things that are good, things that are helpful, whether it be a diet, or whether it be an exercise program, you get around a bunch of other people that are doing that, that can be good and that can be productive. That's positive peer pressure. But you know what? That can also happen with things that are bad and things that are harmful, like sin. You get around enough people that are doing sinful and wicked and evil things and the power of that group, it can, it can pull you along to do that. In fact, Jesus recognized that. Would you look in Matthew chapter 7? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus affirmed the drawing power of groups. In Matthew chapter 7, look in verse 13. In Matthew 7 and in verse 13, Jesus says there, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Notice this. Those who enter by it, that wide gate, are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. We are social creatures. And we like to go along with whatever the pack is doing. But the truth of the matter is, and Matthew 7 bears it out, the truth of the matter is the pack is mostly just living for themselves. The pack is mostly just living for the moment. The pack is mostly just kind of living by their own set of rules, And as a result, those people, which really is most of the people that we know in our lives, they're going the wrong way. And they're going in that wrong way just as fast as they can possibly go. Which means that you and I, as God's people, we're kind of like salmon. And we're trying to swim upstream. Do you want some help in that swimming upstream? Because that's not always easy. Would you like some help with that? then get with people who are going in that direction. That's what you need to do. You need to get with God's people. You need to get with the local church. Get with people who are going in that right way. Get with Christians. 
Get with people, for example, who are reading their Bible daily and study that and it's important to them. And it will encourage you to read your Bible and study that and make it important in your life. Get with people who say, hey, you going to be here for Wednesday night Bible class? Looking forward to class on Wednesday night. Hope you're going to be here. I'm going to be here. Get with people like that. Get with people who say, hey, I'm praying for you. Would you pray for me, please? Get with those kinds of people. Get with people who will inject you with just a shot of spiritual adrenaline. People who have a zeal for spiritual things. People who are interested and get excited about the things of God. Get with people who love being here. People who cannot wait to come to these services because they know the value of worship and they know how good it is to praise God and how good that is for us. Get with people who know the significance of what it is that we are about to do around this table in just a few minutes as we partake of that bread and we drink of that fruit of the vine and we commemorate those things that signify the greatest and most single important event in all of human history. The event that makes us who we are gives us hope and purpose in our lives. Get with people who get it. A local church. They're the people who know. They're the people who understand. They are the people who will pull you with them. In fact, there's a Bible word for all of that. Do you know what that word is? It's the word edification. Would you find Ephesians chapter 4? In Ephesians chapter 4, I'm reading here in verse 15, Paul talks about edification. That's that reciprocal kind of relationship. In Ephesians 4, look in verse 15. Paul says, rather, we're going to speak the truth in love so that we can grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. Maybe you would think about each member. Each individual person, when we're all working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Build up. Your Bible may actually use the word edify there. Coming together in a local church arrangement, you will be strengthened by that. You will be encouraged by that. You will be called into account. That's an important thing. You will be made better. You will be made better as you realize that God is working on you. And one of the ways that God does work upon His people is in and through this relationship that we know as the local church. God works through His people. He will work through a body of believers in order to accomplish His purposes for your life. You'll be built up. In fact, I'm fine with the word built up there, but can we go back to the original metaphor that I started this lesson with? You'll be raised up like a barn. You will be raised up by others. And the key in all of this, in order to make all of that work, is that we see that this is a reciprocal relationship. That it works together because we work together. Don't hold the church at arm's length. I know people that do that. I'm afraid we have people in this congregation who do that. Just kind of always keeping everybody at arm's length. Don't want you in my business. Don't want you knowing too much about me. Don't want to get too close to you. Just kind of keeping everybody at bay. I don't want to be beholden to anybody. Brother, sister, you got to stop that. You need us. And we need you. Don't just be a taker all the time. I'm here to just take, 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 take and get all kinds of goodies from me. Be a giver. Be a contributor. Be someone who's going to help raise others up as well. We are building something, aren't we? 
We are building something together. We are building Christ's church. And that means that we are going to do some pushing and some pulling and some sweating and some working until everyone gets raised up. But we do need everyone. We need everybody. If you are a member, if you identify with this local congregation, we need you. We need you fully invested here. That I'm pulling you today because I realize that I might need you to pull me tomorrow. And I know that I need you to have my back because I'm probably going to need to have your back at some point as well. There's no solo endeavor going on here. We're working together so that we can open up these gracious gifts God has given us within the local church family. Now, before I close, let me give just three quick takeaways. And I want to say again, these questions are specifically for the members of the Lakeside Church of Christ. If you're visiting and you're a member elsewhere, you take these ideas and you think about how this applies to wherever it is that you worship and labor on a regular basis. But three things that I want us to be able to have some some go-home stuff, some stuff that we're going to be able to just put into action right away. Number one, let me just ask you, are you praying for this church? Are you praying for this congregation? In your daily prayers, I know there's lots of things that's part of our daily prayers. We pray that God will bless our families and we pray for the sick and things like that. Do you pray for this congregation? What we are trying to be? Do you pray for people in this congregation? I wonder what would happen, what would happen if everybody here went home with their directory and just decided, you know what, this week I'm going to pray for every person in the directory by name. That may take a while. Maybe today I'll do A through L. And tomorrow I'll do M through Z. Actually, I don't know if I have any Zs, but through the end of the directory. I'm going to pray for all of these people. How much time have you spent in raising up your brothers and sisters in prayer? In fact, you might be thinking, well, I don't, I don't really know that anybody wants... You can pray for me. I'm asking you to pray for me. And I think others here would second that as well. Let's be praying for each other. That's our first stop. Secondly, are you here? Are you regularly present in these assemblies and in these meetings? I've got to tell you, it's just really hard for me to believe that you are committed to raising up this local church when your seat is empty. It's just hard for me to believe that. And I realize there's sickness and things like that that happen that prevent us from being here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I'm choosing not to be here. Can I really say that I have the welfare of my brothers and sisters and this local work at heart when I am not here? You want to start? Here's a good start. Get here. Be here. We need you here to sing and to pray and to encourage, and to serve, and to take part in what we are doing. We need you here at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. We need you here at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. We need you here at 6 p.m. on Sunday night. We need you here again at 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. We do that every week. Even have some other special occasions. But we need you here at those times. We need you here. And then thirdly, we do need you more than just here filling a pew. The question is, what are you doing here? How are you participating in the life of this local church? You just here, just get a bunch of stuff and you just take all kinds of goodies, but you don't ever put anything in. You're not serving. You're not volunteering. You're not helping in some kind of way. 
You know, what beam are you holding up in this barn? Uh, whose aid have you rushed you to? Hey, let me help you with that. Let me, let me help you with that, brother. What is your contribution to this team? I need to think about that. And you need to think about that. Because if I'm going to be a member of the Lord's church, then I'm going to need to be involved in the Lord's work. The work of raising up and building up disciples as we help each other and as we grow toward heaven. Perhaps there's someone here this morning that needs some help with that growing toward heaven thing. It may be that you, as I've talked this morning, it may be that you are kind of been feeling like, well, I'm kind of on the outside looking in. Yes, I'm inside this building, but you've been talking about this church, this family, and, well, I'm not a part of God's family. And I see there's value in that. I see the benefits of that. I see how good that can be for me, and I see how important of a role I could play in helping others. And I need to be a part of that. I want to go to heaven. And I want people to help me in doing that. Well, we can help this morning in taking those initial steps for you to become a Christian. All things are ready today for you to confess your faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son, to be baptized in water, to join Him in the likeness of His death and His burial and His resurrection. You do that, the Bible teaches that's how you become a Christian. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 and 5. We'll help you today. Maybe you just got questions about that. Now, what it takes to become a Christian, need to know more about Jesus, need to know more about sin and how all that plays together. We'll sit down, talk about that, study about that, be glad to help in whatever way. Let me extend a special invitation right now to my brothers and sisters here at Lakeside. Brother, sister, is there something amiss in your life? I spend some time, from time to time, extending invitations talking about sin, when sin is in our lives, and we need to get that corrected. And certainly that is so, and that invitation is available to you. We'll pray with you, and we'll, we'll encourage you, and seek God's forgiveness on, on your behalf. We'll do that. But I want you to think about your role in this congregation. Just, just take these few minutes right now as we sing this invitation song. Am I beholden to my brothers and sisters? Do, do I treat this relationship seriously? And with the gravity that it deserves. And if after I examine myself, if I find that I am lacking and wanting in some way, you may not necessarily require some kind of a public response. You might not need to come down and ask anything specifically. But I would beseech of you to repent. To take seriously what we have here in this family. And that we would work together. And that we would be serious about helping each other to go to heaven. Whatever your need might be this morning, we stand ready to help. You just need to make that known. Why don't you do that right now while we stand and while we sing.